Hey, I'm Mary Ellen Dance, licensed mental health counselor and owner of Pittsburgh Therapy. I'm on a mission to strip away the stigmas surrounding therapy and mental health and talk about how we can use the culture of self-improvement for our benefit rather than our demise. I used to think I was doing life all wrong, from getting fired from a dream job to advising clients on relationships while I myself was trying to sort through that dumpster fire. But then I realized my imperfections are what made me a good therapist. So join me on a journey, not to be perfect, but to be, well, okay-ish. Welcome, your session has now started. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so happy to be with you. Today, we're actually going to talk about something really, really serious. And I always talk about serious topics. Well, most of the time I talk about serious topics. But today, I want to talk about psychiatric emergencies. And the reason I want to talk about this is because we're having some crises in America, but also because I've been asked about them a lot because people don't understand what they mean, what happens. People kind of know that the system is broken, but they don't really know how. And so I want to explain what I know. And so as always, I'm a therapist. I have worked in a psychiatric emergency room in a hospital, like a psychiatric inpatient unit, but I'm not a police officer. I'm not a doctor. I don't work in a psychiatric inpatient unit currently. So this is the knowledge that I know from my work, from my research, all of that. I encourage all of us to do our own research on this because it's such a vitally important topic. But I also wanted to start off saying that if it's triggering to think about this, then don't listen. You know, please like subscribe and review, but you can skip this episode <laughs> because it's scary. Thinking about psychiatric emergencies are really, really, really scary. But I like to talk about the scary stuff. It's important to talk about the scary stuff because how else are we going to fix it? How else are we going to improve? And how else are we going to help people, quite honestly? So let me tell you what I'm talking about. If someone is a danger to themselves or others, there's a thing called a mental health arrest or a mental hygiene arrest where the person can actually get arrested and are taken to the hospital. It's based under a mental hygiene law. I'm not a lawyer so or a police officer, so I don't totally understand all the legal jargon in the law. But what I do know is this. If someone is a threat to themselves or others, they can be told that they're a threat to themselves or others and encouraged to, okay, it's time to go to the hospital because you're a threat to yourself or others. And oftentimes that person will say, okay, I'll go to the hospital. And then they're not arrested. They go to the hospital on their own volition. Unfortunately, sometimes people don't want to do that. They don't want to go to the hospital. They don't feel like they need the hospital. And that's when a police officer can come and put them in handcuffs and they can be escorted or brought to the hospital via a police escort, via an ambulance, via whatever it may be. Sounds really scary, right? It's because it is. It is really scary. So you might be thinking, okay, well, how do we know when someone is a threat to themselves or others, a danger to themselves or others? It's a little tricky because, first of all, we don't know. I don't know what's going on in anyone else's brains. Only that person knows what's going on in their brains. And we're humans, which means that we have free will 
which means that we have the ability to lie. So sometimes it's a little bit hard to tell. The other thing is if someone comes to me and they say, hey, I want to kill myself, that does not mean that they are a threat to themselves or others. If someone comes to me and says, hey, I self-harmed last night and I cut myself with a razor blade, guess what? That also does not mean they are a threat to themselves or others. What the difference is when we as professionals determine that they have a threat to themselves or others is when the person has a plan and an intent. So if someone comes to me and says, I, you know, I have a loaded gun at home and I don't feel safe and I think I'm going to use it, you know, then I can call 911. Then I can do that. Then I can talk to them about going to the hospital and going to a psychiatric inpatient unit. But unless they're saying that or indicating that, my hands are a little bit tied, which let me tell you, is not pleasant. It's not fun at all. It's not fun being around people. I mean, it's none of this is pleasant. It's heartbreaking. Sometimes there have been times in my career where I wanted to send people to the hospital, but they have, maybe they've been in the hospital before, maybe they've been through it before and they kind of know what questions they need to say no to or say yes to, to be able to let them go. And they'll do that. And it's scary. It's so scary having to do that. It's scary having to send someone to the hospital. If someone does not feel safe with themselves, can you even imagine how that feels? It's terrible. So here's typically what happens. And again, I don't currently work in a hospital system and I've only worked in one inpatient psychiatric unit. So I'm sure there's lots of differences between different units, but they all have some things in common. So here's what typically happens. So let's say someone has a plan, they have an intent. We have enough information to say, hey, I think it's time to go to the hospital. And let's say this person says, yeah, you're probably right. I'll go to the hospital. Then I might call 911 with that person. And I might say, okay, we, we need an ambulance to come take this person to the hospital. I'm not just going to send that person home and say, hey, go to the hospital yourself. We can't trust that, right? We have to actually get them to the hospital. So let's say with this person, we call 911 together. We have an ambulance come and say, we got to go to the hospital because we're not safe. It's a wonderful thing. We want people to be safe. Over everything else, we want people to be safe. I've said to clients time and time again, like my number one priority over anything else is making sure that you are safe. So let's say this happens. Ambulance comes to pick them up. The person goes to the hospital. Then what? You might be thinking, oh, okay, we're keeping them safe. But then what? Well, they go to the hospital. They probably wait in the emergency department for a while because emergency departments sometimes take a really long time. So they probably wait in the emergency department for a while. Sometimes they might might wait in the emergency department so long that they're like, meh, I kind of feel safer now. I can go home. That happens. Or they wait in the emergency department so long that, you know, when they finally get seen by a doctor or a psychiatrist, they say to the psychiatrist, like, I really don't want to be here. I'm, you know, I feel safe enough to go home. I'm not going to hurt myself tonight. Well, that doctor and psychiatrist can send them home. If that doesn't happen, if the person is still a threat or a danger to themselves or others, they'll see a psychiatrist, look at evaluated, and then they'll be admitted to an inpatient psychiatric unit. Inpatient psychiatric units are not warm and fuzzy places. <laughs> I really wish they were. I think everyone wishes they were, but they're not. For patient safety, we have to take many things away from them, like shoes that have shoelaces, like sheets. We have to take many things away from them. Let's just leave it at that. 
And so they're often in a room by themselves without anything to do, anything with them. And they stay there. And the average length of stay, according to 2019 data from the CDC, is three to 10 days, with the majority lasting mostly three to four days. Therapy does not happen in here. Not because we don't want to, but because there's just not enough resources. So typically when a person is admitted to an inpatient psychiatric unit, the number one goal is to get them to leave. (laughs) We want to get this person to be able to leave and we want to get this person to be able to leave safely. And we want to connect this person with resources. So typically what happens is there's social workers working to connect the person with outside resources, which is wonderful. There's psychiatrists meeting with the person who, you know, adjust their medications and hopefully get them on an appropriate dose of medications or the appropriate medication, and then getting them a referral to an outside doctor who can continue to prescribe the medications. And then they're discharged. So here's some issues. So a lack of outside resources like therapy, doctors, psychiatrists, things like outpatient resources leads to more emergency room visits, right? Because if I don't have outside resources, I'm going to go to the emergency room. Problem is more emergency room visits then lead to a drain on hospital resources. So then they don't have enough resources in the hospital. So then the person is discharged to outside resources, and there's not enough outside resources. And so oftentimes, people who go to a psychiatric inpatient unit will often go back more than once because they're discharged and referred to outside resources. And then maybe they don't follow up with outside resources, and they end up back in the hospital. It is a vicious, scary cycle. It's really scary. Short hospital stays are actually causing more harm because like I mentioned, being in an inpatient unit is really, really scary. So that it's just a scary place. Like I said, it's not very warm and fuzzy. So that can actually scare a person from going back to the hospital, even if they need to. Obviously, we don't want people to have to go back to the hospital if they don't need to. But if they need to, we want people to feel safe and comfortable going there. But if someone has been there before and doesn't feel safe and comfortable, then they might not go back but then they don't have these outside resources that can help them. Are we seeing some of the issues? There's also issues because, like I've said, if the patient says that they're not suicidal, even if they might be, but if they're like, ooh, if I say this, then I'll get out, that's a problem. The other problem is hospital stays are really expensive. So what actually happens is when someone is admitted into an inpatient unit, before they're admitted, someone from the inpatient unit at the hospital calls their insurance company and says to the insurance company, hey, this person is presenting with A, B, and C symptoms. Can you approve a hospital stay for them? And insurance will either say yes or no. Now, thankfully, insurance companies are now hiring mental health counselors, social workers, people with a background that have, you know, the knowledge to say yes or no to these symptoms. However, the people saying yes or no still haven't met the patient. The people at the insurance company don't go in and assess the patient. They just say yes or no. And typically the insurance company will say, okay, yes, we'll cover for two days, but we're not going to cover longer than that. And sometimes the hospital will call back after two days and say, hey, will you cover longer than this? And the insurance company may or may not say yes. Sometimes if they say no, the hospital will say, okay, you're discharged. Even if the person doesn't have adequate resources yet or adequate referrals. Another issue is 
no one is following up on the resources or referrals. Again, I think some insurance companies are trying to nowadays. Like they have care managers that if someone goes into the hospital, a care manager will follow up because insurance companies don't want to pay for hospital visits. They'd rather pay for outpatient resources. Now, some insurance companies are having care managers follow up, but as soon as the person leaves the hospital, so let's say somebody's in the hospital and a social worker sets them up with a therapist. Great. They have an appointment with a therapist the day they get out of the hospital. And the psychiatrist sets them up with a doctor. They have an appointment with the doctor two days after they get out of the hospital. Awesome. Wonderful. Who follows up to see if they go? I need a little like crickets noise, I feel like. No one. People fall through the cracks all the time, all the time. Another issue with these inpatient hospitalizations is really being a threat to yourself or others is the only criteria that can get you in. Now, again, I'm sure there are outliers and things like that, but the criteria is very specific. So a lot of the time, people with really serious mental illnesses People who are having serious delusions, people who are worried that the government's after them, things like that, may not and probably don't meet criteria to be admitted to the hospital. So this person who's having serious delusions isn't meeting criteria to go into the hospital, but they don't feel safe going home because of their delusions. So where do they go? Sometimes they end up homeless. Sometimes they go out and do drugs. There's a big, big issue with this. And the crazy thing about this is that like everyone's doing their best. The doctors, the nurses, the social workers, everyone in the hospital is doing their best. Everyone in the outpatient resources, therapy practices, outpatient doctors, outpatient facilities, they're all doing their best too. It's a systematic issue. It really is. It's a systematic issue. There's not enough resources because it's not one person's fault. It's not the hospital's fault. It's not, it's not even the insurance company's fault. Sometimes we like to blame insurance companies, but we honestly really can't this time. It's no one's fault, but it's a huge issue because people aren't getting the services they need. I had a client recently who her mom took her to the emergency room, which was great. Her mom took her to the emergency room. That's wonderful. Life is good. They wait in the waiting room for something like 12 hours. By the time, I don't know, however many hours have gone by, maybe it was nine hours, but still a really, really long time. The daughter, the daughter who's the reason she's in the emergency room finally says, I I just want to go home and go to bed. I don't feel an imminent risk anymore. I was in imminent danger nine hours ago, 12 hours ago, but I'm not in imminent danger anymore. I just want to go home and go to bed. So guess what? Mom took her home and she went to bed, which makes sense. But does that mean she was connected to resources? Does that mean that she was connected to follow-up? Does that mean she has a pretty high risk of ending up back there? Yeah, she does. And so it's scary. I know this is kind of like a downer of an episode, but I want us all to be aware of what these things mean because it sounds really scary and it is scary. I'm not saying it's not scary, but I think awareness of what this means and what's working in the system and what's not working in the system will help us to understand and how we can help. And I can't talk about this without talking about mental illness and violence. So I have been saying the term a lot this episode, a danger or a threat to themselves or others. Typically, people with mental illness are way more of a threat to themselves than they are to others. Typically, they're not a threat to others. 
people who are diagnosed with mental illnesses are significantly more likely to be victims of crimes than perpetrators of crimes. Significantly. So we have a few issues in America going on right now. One of them is mental health and one of them is crime. And they are not the same thing. They are absolutely not the same thing because people with mental health concerns are way more likely to be victims of crime. I think it's also important to know that, you know, we have probably heard stories, we've probably seen videos of, you know, people with mental illnesses getting arrested to go to the hospital for a mental hygiene arrest, or, you know, we've probably seen videos or heard stories like that, right? It doesn't typically happen that way. Those are extreme cases. It's important to know that what we hear about on the news or from a friend or social media or whatever are often very, very extreme cases and not the norm. And so if someone is ever put in handcuffs to go to the hospital for a psychiatric reason, it is because they are incredibly, incredibly unsafe. I wish it didn't happen. I wish it didn't have to happen, but I said, you know, our job is to make sure people are safe. And sometimes we have to make sure that people are safe from themselves, which is pretty terrible and really, really sad. And it's really, really scary. But I want us to know that the majority of the time people are going to an inpatient mental health unit or an inpatient psychiatric unit is because they choose to, is because they have said, yeah, I don't feel safe which is wonderful. We want to give people the help and the support they need. It's also important to recognize that this is increasing. And I don't quite know why it's increasing. Is it increasing because of COVID? Maybe. Is it increasing because people were isolated and didn't have the support systems they had during COVID? Maybe. Is it increasing because the state of our world is a scary place and we're all kind of feeling that collective trauma? Maybe. Is it increasing because there's not enough outside resources? So people aren't getting outside resources and that's, you know, leading their mental health to decline and them having to go to the emergency room. Maybe, maybe it's a combination of all these things. But the CDC reported that emergency room visits after a suspected suicide attempt in adolescence increased in the past three years by 31%. 31% is a big increase. So more and more adolescents are attempting suicide and or threatening suicide and being sent to an inpatient psychiatric unit. And maybe they need that. and Maybe that's helpful for them. But we also need somewhere to help these adolescents when they're discharged from the hospital. So I can't talk about this without sharing some resources, obviously. So call 211, 211, wherever you are. If you call 211, it can help you. Also, 1-800-273-TALK. Always have someone online to help you. Go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. That can help. Those are all wonderful places. A lot of places have something called mobile crisis. So like in the county I live in, one of the hospitals has a team called the mobile crisis team where they'll actually send a team to your house if there's a psychiatric emergency that they can kind of meet you at your house and hopefully, you know, stabilize the crisis, provide an assessment, maybe 
transport if they need to, things like that. So I know there's a mobile crisis team in the county I live in. There, There's different teams like that all over the place. If you're ever worried about someone's safety, if you're ever, ever worried about someone's safety, do not hesitate to call 911. That's what 911 is there for. Even if they say to you, hey, this person is safe, you know, we can't do anything, do not hesitate to call because it's way, way better to be cautious with that than not. So if you're listening to this and, you know, you have a solution for the uh, issues going on, like, you know, please let your lawmakers and hospitals and me and I don't even know who we let know about a solution. <laughs> but again, the point of me doing this episode was really so we understand what's going on. When we hear things in the news, what does that mean? What is happening? Is that person dangerous? Should we be afraid of that person? No. More likely than not, No. We want to be able to provide support and resources for the person struggling with it. And follow up, like one of the things that I would love to see is more care management or case management, which basically means following up with the person. If they miss this doctor's appointment, we want to call them to make sure that they can, you know, get to the next doctor's appointment, that they're still safe, that there's not an issue so they can get the help that they need. So I hope that this helps us understand some of the stuff going on, some of the things we're hearing, put some context to some of the things we're hearing, and that I also hope this helps us to to realize that people who are hospitalized for mental illness are not scary or not de- are not people we want to stay from they're just people who are trying to be okay-ish and who who need help and who need support and need resources and hopefully we can provide more of that Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for being here for these tough topics because the tough topics are just as, if not more important than some of the fun topics we do. So thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. Please follow me wherever you're listening to this podcast and on Instagram at okishpodcast. Also, I would love it if you could rate the podcast and leave a review. The best way to get in contact with me is to go to okishpodcast.com and submit a comment, question. You can do it anonymously too, which is so great. I will see you guys next Monday. I can't wait.